welcome to My American Melting Pot, the podcast for people living multicultural lives. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm a Black woman married to a Spanish man, raising three bilingual, biracial, bicultural children. I'm also a journalist and the author of the books, Hair Story, Same Family, Different Colors, Kinky Gazpacho, and the novel, Substitute Me. Some people call me a cultural critic or a pop culture pundit. I call myself a diversity diva, and I'm really glad you're here for another episode of our special Revolutionary Readers Summer Series. Hello, Melting Pot community. How are you doing? No, really, I want to know, how are you holding up? This world is so crazy right now, I know it's hard to even answer a simple question like, how are you? I'm finding that when people ask me that question these days, hey, Lori, how are you? Sometimes I answer on autopilot and I just say, oh, I'm fine. But then that feels like a lie as soon as it comes out of my mouth because I'm not fine because we're living in the middle of a global pandemic. There is nothing fine about the way we're living right now. I don't know about you all, but I am still living in constant fear that me or one of my family members is going to catch the virus. I literally wake up every morning and open my eyes and check to see if my throat is sore, to see if I can still smell and taste things. You know, I have that constant fear. Not to mention, I have three children who should be gearing up for school in the next month. And I have no idea what school is going to look like if sending my children to anything that resembles a school building will get them sick, which will then get me sick. And then we'll all be sick together. Yeah. So no, I'm not fine. I'm living in a constant state of stress because of the pandemic. And that stress, of course, is exacerbated by the fact that we live in a relatively small house with two teenage boys and an active nine-year-old girl, and we can't send them anywhere. Then nobody can really go anywhere. And then, of course, that stress is even exacerbated more because this entire situation is made worse every day because of the incompetent clown occupying the White House. Yeah, no, I don't think I'm fine. And of course, I'm not even done with the things that are making me not fine, because along with our global pandemic that continues to rage on with no signs of stopping, we're trying to reconcile our violent and sordid racist past as a nation at the same time. So no, if anyone says, how are you? And I say, I'm fine. It's a lie. I'm not fine. Are any of you fine? I just wanted to take this moment to acknowledge the hard work each and every one of us is doing just surviving this crazy time we're living through right now. Getting out of bed and finding a reason to smile, coming up with activities beyond watching television for our children, making a nice meal. These are all reasons to congratulate ourselves every day. These are all reasons to acknowledge our superior survival skills. So I hope that all of you who are not fine, who are struggling, are giving yourself praise for just moving through your day with some sense of normalcy. So, of course, I'm sure you're wondering, um, Lori, what does this have to do with being a revolutionary reader? Or was this just a parenthesis? Did you just go off on a tangent? No, actually, there is a connection. I promise you, there is a connection. So we're talking about being revolutionary readers, and we're talking about being revolutionary readers, which can lead to becoming revolutionary leaders. 
And what I was thinking and why I wanted to do this series is because it is in the midst of despair where revolutionaries are born. Revolutionary leaders find their purpose when the world around them has fallen into chaos and despair. Changemakers don't usually come out of the womb ready for a fight, right? They're forged and shaped by circumstances that leave them no choice but to take up their weapons and fight. This summer series was meant to encourage all of you to be revolutionary readers, to read books that will inspire and encourage the revolutionary within you so that you might take up your weapons and fight for the change that must come in order to restore order, normalcy, a better world for our nation and for our world, actually. You know, I've said this over and over again in any kind of things that I write and when I speak, that we can't wait for a politician to make the world a better place. No, we'll be waiting forever. It's going to be regular folks, you and me, mothers and fathers, teachers and chefs, regular people who are going to make the change we've all been waiting for. And the weapons that we use to bring about change won't be guns and swords. Our weapons are going to be things like an arsenal of love for the poor and forgotten, buckets of generosity towards those who have been abused for generations by our systems of oppression and discrimination. Our weapons are going to be the cacophony of noise made by our collective voices raised in the spirit of solidarity. Another weapon we can use, of course, which is my weapon of choice, is the pen. We can use words on the page to be revolutionary writers. Yes, that's what we're talking about today, is being revolutionary writers. The flip side of being a revolutionary reader is being a revolutionary writer, because we can all be revolutionary writers. You don't need permission to write. You don't need fancy tools or equipment. You can simply write. But I know maybe you're wondering, what do I write to be a revolutionary writer? You want to know the answer to that question? Anything. You can write anything as a revolutionary writer. You can write newspaper articles, blog posts, poems, and manifestos. You can write novels, comic books, biographies, and letters to your congressman. You can write pamphlets, plays, memoirs, letters to your younger self. You can write textbooks, guidebooks, and an entire magazine if you're up for it. You can write song lyrics, movie screenplays, and letters to your racist uncle. You simply have to write. And you write in a way that will inspire people to make the changes in society we all need. Or you write to show the world that there is another way to be and do and believe. You write to demand that your power brokers and political leaders are held accountable for their actions or lack thereof. You write to bring satisfaction to those who are doing the work every day and need to see their sacrifices acknowledged. Or you write to bring joy to the people around you so that they have something other than despair to dive into. You write to show what's possible. That's why I write. I think of my pen as mightier than any sword that I might take up. And today, more than ever, I'm using it to write words that educate those who need help understanding how to be anti-racist. 
And I'm using it to celebrate the people, places, and things that stand as an example of what being anti-racist, diverse, and inclusive looks like. I'm even working on a novel that I hope brings joy to many people, but also I'm writing this novel because it has a radical message of racial reconciliation embedded within the storyline. So that's why I consider myself a revolutionary writer. That's why I write. But being a revolutionary writer doesn't look like what I'm doing. I mean, it can, but it can look like a lot of different things for different writers. I mean, when I think of revolutionary writers, my mind like immediately goes to Frederick Douglass and Zora Neale Hurston and Toni Morrison. But then the more I think about it, it swings to people like Roxane Gay or Ray Terciero, Ray Terciero is the author of the graphic novel Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy. That's the multicultural retelling of Little Women in a graphic novel form. To me, that is a revolutionary piece of work. I also think of Ta-Nehisi Coates, and I think of Gloria Steinem. So you see what I'm saying, that being a revolutionary writer doesn't look like one thing. Revolutionary writers don't only write about one particular part of society or culture. Being a revolutionary writer looks like a lot of different things. The pantheon of revolutionary writers is so immense, right? So what I wanted to do today was to kind of showcase some of the different ways people can be revolutionary writers. I mean, you have all those legends that I just mentioned. It's just tip of the iceberg examples. But I wanted you to hear the voices of people who consider themselves revolutionary writers and hear why they consider themselves revolutionary writers. So I asked a few of my writer friends who I consider revolutionary writers to explain in their own words why they consider themselves revolutionary writers. So first I asked my friend Kenria Rankin. Kenria was a guest on the show on episode 40. And Kenria is the co-author of the book, How We Fight White Supremacy. And she has a brand new book out, literally came out this week, called Anti-Racism. So again, I asked Kenria, what makes you a revolutionary writer? And here's what she had to say. My name is Kenria Rankin, and I'm a revolutionary writer because I don't have a choice. The work bubbles out of me, troubles my sleep, sends me to my notes app to record the sentences that appeared in the minutes before the sunlight nudged open my lids. My very wholeness depends on my ability to render others whole via work that centers their stories, tucks the page hard enough to slide them from the margins to the center where they belong, and reminds them that they were born complete and perfect, and that's the way they'll remain if I have anything to do with it. My work amplifies the lived experiences, advocacy, and expertise of people of color and expands the conversation around who deserves liberation and justice in America. It values lyricism, analysis, and most importantly, honesty. I write books, essays, and articles that make readers think, laugh, cry, dream, and expand themselves and their thinking around the intertwined concepts of identity, race, parenting, health, and equity. I am a revolutionary writer because the work of anti-racism brings me joy. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. Writing books with titles like How We Fight White Supremacy and Anti-Racism is a firm career decision. But helping audiences parse threats to their autonomy and bringing them together to fight back collectively buoys me. Creating community with my people lifts me. So I write past the fear and the doubt and the white supremacy 
and the exhaustion and the incessant scratching at the window. I model a world for my young daughter where making art isn't a hobby relegated to the tiny hours, but an intentional career that can change tides. I seek the shafts of light in the midst of the storm. I move the culture forward. I am a revolutionary writer. Wow. Okay, so Kenria inspires me. Kenria is a revolutionary writer because she has to be. I think that she embodies, obviously, what a revolutionary writer might sound like for people who really are working to change the culture, to change the world. And she does it with joy. So even though she says it's hard, it's hard to be in this space where there is so much violence and hatred and discrimination, it brings her joy to do this work because she can see that her words make a difference. So Kenria is a revolutionary writer. My friend Zeta Elliott, who also appeared on the podcast in episode number six, is a author as well. And she writes books for children and teens. And she's actually written over 30 books and shows no signs of slowing down. Maybe you could consider her a revolutionary just because of the prolific nature of her work. But that's not why I see Zeta Elliott as a revolutionary writer. Um, Her latest book was called A Place Inside Me, A Poem to Heal the Heart. And almost all of Zeta's work centers children of color. And she writes fantasy, sci-fi, mythical, and magical stories. And she was literally one of the first people I thought of when I thought of who is a revolutionary writer. But interestingly, that's not exactly how Zeta sees herself. This is what she had to say. I definitely don't think of myself as a revolutionary, but I think Maybe it depends on your definition. If a revolutionary is someone who is working for change, then that's me. I don't even identify as an activist necessarily, but I am definitely trying to center kids that have been marginalized for way too long within children's literature. I'm trying to advocate for the rights of kid-lit creators of color. I want to see change. I want things to be different. And I hope that when I walk into a classroom or a library or if I'm on campus, that I do embody possibility. And I hope that young people, writers of any age, look at me and say, she's someone who didn't stop when the door closed in her face. And she's someone who tried to find a way in, not just for herself, but for other people. So if that's what it means to be a revolutionary, then long live the revolution. Long live the revolution indeed. So Zeta doesn't necessarily see herself as a revolutionary. And yet she says that she's someone who is working for change. And she wants to embody possibility for those who don't see a possibility for themselves. So again, even though Zeta Elliott doesn't you know, wake up every morning and say, I am a revolutionary writer, she is a person who is motivated by the possibility of changing the world for a lot of people, other writers and children and young people who haven't seen themselves represented on the pages of popular literature. So I want you to see that there are so many different ways to be a revolutionary writer. 
the last person that I asked to share their experiences and their reasons for claiming the title of revolutionary writer is my friend Tracy Lewis Jiggetts. Tracy is another prolific journalist, writer, and author. She is also the publisher and founder of New Season Books and Media. Tracy is an extremely powerful writer whose recent essays can be read in both the Washington Post and Oprah.com. She has a very clear sense of her purpose as a writer. And when I asked her why she is a revolutionary writer, this is what she said. My name is Tracy Michelle Lewis Jiggetts, and I am a revolutionary writer because, however imperfectly, I write with the intention of using stories to help people heal. I believe in the power of stories to transform a person's life and put them us on a path that leads to both personal and collective healing. When we give our stories air, when I tell the stories of my heart, stories of pain and joy, of trauma and triumph, particularly as a Black woman, something revolutionary happens. Yes, I participate in the process of setting my own self free, but it's entirely possible that I can help loosen the chains of another person who might be reading or otherwise taking in what I create. That's why I am a revolutionary writer. So again, something very different. Tracy is a revolutionary writer because she writes to heal. Her stories heal. They heal her and they heal or help to heal others. So her work is meant to you know, that the work itself leads to revolution happening within people, which then, of course, leads to revolution happening within our society and our culture. So I am a revolutionary writer, but I am inspired every day by other writers around me, by my friends like Zeta, Tracy, and Kenria and their work, but by all of the other revolutionary writers around me as well. And again, just taking up the pen as a revolutionary writer inspires others to do the same. And you don't have to be writing nonfiction books that make the bestseller list. You could be writing a simple children's book that is going to show a child that they matter. And that child who sees that they matter then takes up the pen and becomes a revolutionary writer or becomes a leader of some sort because they have been acknowledged and validated in their life and their lived experiences. There are so many things you can do with the written word that can spark a revolution, an internal revolution, a local revolution, a community revolution, a global revolution. I hope that hearing these stories and these ideas are just enough of a spark to inspire you to take up the pen or the keyboard, whatever you choose. You can write to inspire children. You can write to heal the wounded. You can write to change the world. Just write if it is your calling. I believe in you, Melting Pot community. Write on. Thank 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode, Melting Pot Community. And I want to thank my guest, Tracy Lewis Jiggets, Kenria Rankin, and Zeta Elliott. Please be sure to check the show notes for links to their work and where you can follow them on social media. I highly recommend you follow all three of them. They are very prolific on social media, constantly sending out messages and interesting information, but also seeing where they may be showing up or doing workshops or promoting their books and essays. So check the show notes to get all those links to find out again how you can follow all three of them. And then I will be back here next Friday for our final episode of our summer season with a full length episode. I'm super excited because the author of our summer My American Melting Pot book club read will be here. Yes, I'm going to be in conversation with Lauren Francis Sharma, author of Book of the Little Axe. If you aren't reading along with our book club yet, you definitely want to pick up this book. It is a total melting pot read. Really fascinating. You can listen back in on previous episodes or check the My American Melting Pot blog to see what the book is about and what we're doing as a book club. So until next week, keep reading like a revolutionary and writing too. My American Melting Pot is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor and technical director is Brad Linder. Our theme music was composed by Sumi Tanoka. Thanks again for listening. And please, if you haven't had a chance to, leave a rating or review for the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And always remember, Melting Pot community, to live your life in color. 